0: God completely takes care of us. Grab a Bible. Turn open. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19. I'm going to tell you a true statement that I wrote an entire sermon planning to finish up 1 Thessalonians today. Did you say oops? <laughs> it was not, I don't know. Look, we have two choices. I can rush through... Right? Or we can take our time and just see what the Lord has to say for us. And if we don't make it through, so be it. Uh, we'll, do, we'll do something different. Thank you. That's what we want. Uh, so find First Thessalonians chapter 5, and you'll find verse 19. And in my house, I'm going to tell you that in my house we have a lot of kids. We have, for those of you who don't know me well enough, I have six children, three boys, three girls. Five are still at home with us. We have one daughter who's old enough and moved out. And uh, we have five at home with us. And so in our house, there's really only one way that things could work. And that is that our children have to get chores. You have to. Now, by the way, just for a little parenting advice, chores are really good for kids. That helps them like learn how to, no, really it is. Like it, it helps them learn how to grow up. It helps them learn how to take care of their own stuff. There's a whole bunch of benefits to chores. But in our house, there really is no choice. With so many people, you have to have everyone sharing in the responsibilities. And every now and then, now, before I say what I'm about to say, hear me. Listen, my kids are really good. I I'm not just saying that just because I'm their dad. They're, they're good. If I ask them to do chores, 95% of the time, they're spot on. They're, they're good. They'll do it because dad asked them to. But every now and then, somebody gets a little wild hair. And they think that it's unfair. And then they make the grave mistake of telling their dad, who is a Baptist preacher, how unfair it is that I gave them a chore instead of their video game or whatever they wanted to do at the time. The lecture that follows is their own fault. They told me it wasn't fair. And so now they have to hear what dad's going to tell them. And you could probably imagine that part of that is this. I provide absolutely everything in their life. They don't pay for water or Wi-Fi. They don't pay for their uh, school supplies. They don't pay for their cell phone. They don't pay for they don't pay for anything. Whether it's a want or a need, they don't pay for their food. They don't pay for the cleaning supplies to do the chore. That's so unfair. They don't pay for gas. I pay for all the gas. We chauffeur them around when they want to go places. Last night, my wife had to leave the house at like. 10 o'clock at night to go pick up kids from some youth thing they were doing at another church. And so all the time we are constantly providing for our children. I feel like, and I would imagine that most of the adult parents in the room would agree with this. It is perfectly reasonable if I provide their entire life for them that they could clean a bathroom. (laughs) <laughs> yes. I got a hearty amen and a couple of quiet ones, but you know who doesn't like cleaning bathrooms? So look, this is, what, this is what happens though. I tell them to clean a bathroom. Sometimes they don't like that and they fight that. Now, can I ask you a question? Is this like an even trade-off in my house? Do I provide for them everything because they clean a the bathroom? Is that how it worked? No, that's not how it worked, is it? I provide for them because I'm their dad. I brought them in like, they're, they're my children. I have to take care of them. I want to take care of them. So if they don't clean the bathroom, do I, do you think I don't buy them food? Like, would it be reasonable that I'm like, I'm not getting you new shoes. Your toes are popping out the side, Jeremiah. He's the worst about that. His so your toes are popping out the side of it. but I'm- get you new ones because you didn't do the chore that I asked you to do. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? I'm still going to buy him his tennis shoes. He's still going to have food on the table or whoever decided to fight against the, against the chore that was given that day. I'm still going to provide for them, even if they didn't like the chore that I gave. Does everybody get the point of what I'm saying? They're just as a family aspect. Okay. Now apply that to Christianity for a minute. God completely takes care of us. He has saved us, thoroughly saved us, all the way through and through. It is by His grace that we are saved. But we still have some responsibilities, and they're perfectly reasonable. And if I, if, I, if I preach about the responsibilities inside of His grace, the first question that most Christians would pop off with in their head would be, well, wait a minute, I thought grace is freely given and it's, and it's not earned. That's exactly right. But you have a responsibility because he takes care of you. Because he has done so much for you, because he has saved you, now we have our responsibility. That's what Paul is going to close his letter with to to the Thessalonian church. This is what he says. Look with me. It's in chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 19. Did I give you enough time to find it? Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who call, he who calls you is faithful who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him about his word. Heavenly Father, God, we don't want to take lightly what's happening right now. First of all, Lord, thank you that you would allow us into your presence and that we could speak with you. Thank you, Father, that you incline your ear to us. Truthfully, we don't deserve to be here. We don't deserve to be in your presence right now and we don't deserve to be in your house. And yet you have torn the veil from the top to the bottom and you've invited us in to come into your throne room boldly and to find help in time of need. Father, we come to you because right now we look into your word and there there are large, big things being said here. And Father, I'm not equipped. I'm not smart enough, Father, to teach your word. God, I pray that you would open up your word to us, myself included, and that we would hear from you. Father, we want to hear from you. We pray that your spirit would touch our hearts. We pray that we would understand your word. We pray that we would leave here today, Father, understanding more about your word and that we wouldn't just harbor it, but Father, that we'd hide it in our hearts and we'd leave these doors today and we'd live it. Father, we truly seek you. We don't seek our own glory. We seek to exalt your son, Jesus. And we pray that through that, that you draw all men unto yourself. May your name be magnified through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, look. starts in verse 19, and, and what do we see? Do not quench the Spirit. I love what Paul does at the end of his letters, especially this letter in particular, because you remember this letter Paul was writing because he helped to plant the church, and he was there for three weeks. After three weeks of being in the church, of being there, he had to leave because the town, the people of the town were persecuting the church already. They were coming after Paul and his and his uh, friends and the, the, his missionary friends. And so they ran him out of town. The church said, go. The church of Thessalonica said, you got to go. You got to get out of here. And so they ushered Paul out. Paul left. He was worried about the church. Remember that? He wanted to know how they were doing. So we saw from the letter that he was asking around, asking other churches and other cities how... how this church was doing, and the report was good, but it still wasn't enough. He wanted to know more, so he sent Timothy to them. And Timothy came back with a good report. And so Paul was now sitting down, and he wrote this whole letter to this church that he, cared, he kept thinking about. He cared about. He wondered how they were doing. And he even told us, he said he didn't want them to lack anything. He, he wanted to be able to teach them doctrinally, and so that's why he was writing this letter. And we get to the very end, and imagine that for just a moment being in Paul's situation. Here's this church that you love so much, that you love so dearly, and you're going to close this letter. What are you going to put in this letter? What are you going to put at the end? And so we see this kind of like rapid fire, like doctrinal statements, big doctrinal statements that he puts in kind of rapid fire succession. So they seem short, but they're just packed with all kinds of information. Look what he says first in verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Now, that tells you a couple of things. First of all, it tells you that the Spirit, if if I could quench the Spirit, it tells me, first of all, you got to stick with the first part. The Spirit is ablaze. The Spirit is moving. Right. That's what we see from, from the Scriptures is that the Spirit is moving amongst us. The Spirit is like the wind. The Holy Spirit of God, by the way, just in case we're not clear, we all need to be clear that we believe and we know that the Bible teaches that God is in three persons father son and holy spirit and i'll have time today and i'm not going to take the time today to sit here and explain to you how god can be three persons yet he is one god but you would accept the fact that later on you were named as three different persons right here you were named as spirit soul and body in the same passage and so uh, we're just going to suffice it to say for the moment that we know according to the scriptures that god the father god the son god the spirit are three in one it's the trinity That's the the Trinity that we know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is alive and moving amongst us. And now look, look within what's packed inside of this. Do not quench the Spirit. Do you understand? That's your responsibility. The Spirit of God is alive and moving, and he says, "You notice, let's let's go the reverse. Notice he didn't say, set the Spirit ablaze inside of yourself. (laughs) Ignite the Spirit in yourself. Did he say that? No, what did he say? Respons- the Spirit is alive and moving. It's your responsibility to do something. Don't quench the Spirit of God. We like to go out back. We have this little fire pit. Every year, we, apparently, we just like fires, I guess, because we have them all winter in the fireplace. And out back, we have a little fire pit. And then once a year, we'll have a big bonfire and put all the limbs in there and invite everybody over and circle around a big bonfire. But in the little fire pit, we'll, we'll build a fire. And the kids always do the same thing, it's, it never fails. They come to me individually and they say, can I throw this in the fire, whatever this is? It's, it could be all kinds of things, sometimes flammable, sometimes not. Sometimes it may be toxic. I'm not certain. I'm like, don't put that in there. <laughs> anyway, so like they come to me, everything they have found around the yard. Can I throw this in the fire? Can I throw this in the fire? And it never fails. Somebody will always say, can I throw some pine needles in the fire? And if you throw a little bit in, you're fine, but it, it never fails, somebody gets overexcited because dad said they could throw something in the fire, and they grab a big pile of pine needles, and they run over to the fire, and they throw the big pile of pine needles on top of the fire, and even if they're good and dry, if you've ever had a fire with pine needles on it, you'll know this, if you put too many on top, what happens? You'll, you'll squash it. You'll, you'll quench it. The, the fire will go out. Even though the pine needles are flammable, you'll, you'll lose the oxygen and they'll put all those pine needles on and the fire will go out. So we always tell them, don't put all the pine needles on. You're going to put the flame out inside of the, inside of the fire pit. Now listen, I want to ask you this question. What is it that we could do that would quench the spirit? If it's our responsibility to say, right here is our responsibility, don't quench the spirit. That's your responsibility. How would I quench the Spirit then? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of ways, but the first one's real easy. I think everybody probably knows this one. The first way that we can quench the Spirit is by sin. If and when we sin, we are quenching the Spirit of God. Even more so when we continue in sin, we are quenching the Spirit of God. I want you to turn in your Bibles, turn over to John chapter 16 and verse 7. John chapter 16 and verse 7, and I'll read through verse uh, 8. Actually, I might read through verse 11. John chapter 16 and verse 7, and I'll read through verse 11. I still see you turning. I'll, I'll give you a second. John 16, verses 7 through 11. You ready? Read this with me. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. Who's that Helper? Who is that? The Holy Spirit. The Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send Him to you. When He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no more. And judgment, because the ruler of this world is is judged. The Holy Spirit has a role in the world. And what do we read right here? What's he going to do in the world? Convict the world of sin. Now you need to understand that. The Holy Spirit is coming to convict the world of sin. When we practice sin, we are ignoring what the Holy Spirit is convicting us of. Are you putting that together? Do you understand where I'm coming with that? When you sin, the Holy Spirit is convicting us, but when we go ahead and do it anyways, and then tell me I'm wrong about this one. What happens when we sin? Does it not happen that when you do it once, it hurts? but when you, Especially for the believer. But if you do it again, it's a little easier. And if you do it again, it's even easier. That's the way it kind of works, right? Because the Bible speaks of it this way, that we're literally searing our own conscience. The Holy Spirit is living inside of us and he's convicting us of sin. And when we go ahead and do it anyways, when we look anyways or say it anyways or lie anyways or whatever it is that's going on, when we do it anyways, we are are quenching the Holy Spirit of God. Paul said it's your responsibility. Don't quench the Spirit. Now I'm going to give you a second one. The first one's easy. Don't sin. You sin, you quench the Spirit. You ready for the second one? If you ignore the gift that the Holy Spirit, or I should say gifts, that the Holy Spirit gives you. It is ouch because the truth is we don't want to see it this way. As a matter of fact, what I've heard said, some people come to me and they're like, do you, I, I've had this question, even recently someone had, came to me with this question. Have you ever done one of those uh, surveys where to see what gifts you have from the Spirit? I just need you all to know this. Like I, I don't really get along with those too well because... I think the Holy Spirit does a pretty good job of telling you what he wants you to do. You don't don't need me to give you a survey to tell you, you know, like you can cross off A's, B's, and C's, but it's not necessarily going to, it's not going to fix for you. If, If you're struggling with what the Holy Spirit has for you, notice whose responsibility it was not to quench the Spirit. And so I want you to read these with me. Turn over in your Bibles, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 8. I'll read 8 through 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 8 through 10. This is one of three lists that you're given in the Scriptures that, that list for you the gifts of the Spirit. You also have another in Ephesians 4 and another in uh, Romans chapter 12. But we're going to read 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8 through 10. Do you have it? For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different types of different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. In Ephesians, they're listed for us as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Now, what I've seen from my perspective is this. You ready for it to get a little hard? Yes, you are. What we do is when the Holy Spirit is convicting us and telling us what we should be doing with the gifts that he's given us, we find ways to talk ourselves out of it. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. I'm going to use one from just yesterday. Ann and, and Tom and Teresa went out knocking on doors and praying with people. Do you know what I see from my perspective when we start talking about going out and evangelizing, like actually evangelizing, not just inviting people to church, but go, go pray with people or go, go try to tell people about Jesus? I'm not even talking about knocking on doors. I'll, I'll be real frank with you. Sometimes I, I talk with people who they have a friend or a loved one that, that they would never say it this way, and they'll be very offended at the idea, but it is the truth. They're scared to evangelize. I've watched people, there's this one lady that I know, she could be in a Walmart line that everybody is angry. Like the whole line is, is, is angry because there's like one person checking you out and like there's, I always wonder why Walmart didn't save money and just put in one checkout lane. That's all they're going to put in there anyways. But it just seems like I, I could save them a ton of money, get one checkout lane. You're only going to put one person in there. But anyway, so th- th- this lady, she could be in this line of people that everybody's mad because there's only one person checking them out and there's, you're going to wait for an hour in the Walmart line and she will make friends with two or three people in front of her and two or three people behind her. But if you talk to her about sharing the gospel with people, all of a sudden she becomes timid. And I'm telling you, that very same girl has looked at me and said, I'm not really certain what my spiritual gift is. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's gifted me with. Can we call it the gift of gab? (laughs) Anyways, no, like, (laughs) is that a, but really, no, but on a serious note, listen to what I'm trying to tell you. What we do is we get scared. Did, Did the Bible promise you that if the Spirit gave you a gift that you wouldn't be scared to use it? Do you think that the person who has the who is supposed to be evangelizing? Do you think that that's easy for them? Do you think that? Do you think that maybe, maybe, just maybe, it's they're nervous too, but they're following what the Spirit has told them to do? I'll give you another one. As I watch people who are apt to teach. I mean, they're good. there are some people who would like to teach and there are some people who are good at teaching. You know that person that's just that, remember that teacher in school that just caught your attention and they, they would just draw you in and you would hear what they, would, what they had to say. They're good at teaching, but then you ask them about teaching in church and they say, I'm not qualified. Do you see what happens? What happens is this. It gets brought up. Maybe, maybe you could serve in this way. Maybe you could serve the Lord this way or whatever. And you know what I hear? I'm going to give you another one. I don't have time for that in my life right now. I don't have time for that. We're working so much. We're traveling. We just got done. Our kids just graduated. Or our kids just started school or whatever. Do you know what I want to tell you this? I tell this to young, to young couples all the time when they talk to me about getting married or having kids. They always come to me and they want to know about getting married or having kids. And I always tell them this. There's never a good time. If you're looking for like the good time, you're always going to find something else to aspire to before you have kids or before you get married or whatever. It's the same way with serving in church. There's not going to be a good time. There's not, as Robert told me the other week, ministry's never convenient. If you're waiting for the Lord to just clear out your schedule so you can go, oh, now I see exactly what I should do. He doesn't do it that way. No, as a matter of fact, it usually goes the other way. When it's the least opportune time when you've got the most going on in your life. I want to tell you a true story. I planted the church with my wife and Tom Pigram, the Pigram family, and, and one young man named Austin Kolangeski. There was four of us in our little group, four adults that meeting, I'm saying meeting before we ever started. We're going to start the church. I, I had got my bachelor's degree. I thought it took me seven years to get my bachelor's. I was so tired of school I, I know you're still in school, but I was tired of school. I, I'm, I don't like people bleeding all over my papers, you know, writing with red ink all over them. It's just, it's tiring. I thought, I'm done with it. We planted the church, and it was one week before the church was to open. Last week of May, and I got a letter from our school, from my school, that said, someone has anonymously paid for your master's program. All you have to do is say Yes. Is that convenient? No. Do you say no to somebody paying for your master's program? Probably not either. <laughs> Robert's like, no. Not. <laughs> Where's that in your life, right? <laughs> but listen, when the Lord calls you to something, it doesn't have to be convenient for the Lord to be moving. Don't quench the spirit. Don't put it out because it's not convenient or because you're scared or because you don't want to. If the Lord has gifted you, and by the way, if you're his child, he's gifted you. And if you're saying to me, which I hear all the time, I don't know what my gifts are. You can't blame the spirit. He's ablaze. It's not you setting the spirit, igniting the spirit in you. No, no, no. It's you not quenching him. What's he calling you to? What's the one thing that you say? What if you're like Jonah? What's the one thing? What's the one place you don't want to go? What's the one thing you don't want to do? If that's what God's calling you to do, that's what you do. Because you don't want to quench the spirit of God. I'm going to give you a third. I know I'm spending all the time here. I told you, I didn't know if I was going to get through it, so I'm just sticking where I'm at. He says, don't quench the spirit. You can quench the spirit in sin. You can quench the spirit by denying the gifts that he's given you. And this is, this is going to be the hardest to understand. I don't know if I can, if I can articulate this the way, that, the way that I understand it, but I want you to hear this. You can quench the spirit in other people. As a matter of fact, not only can you quench the spirit in other people, but the church has a really bad history of quenching the spirit in other people. We quench the spirit in other people because we don't like what they're doing or or we find some way to justify it. I have watched I have watched as pastors looked at, at young people who had just found the Lord and they were excited about finding the Lord and, and, and that they had been saved and they were excited. They wanted to tell everybody. And I've watched as pastors say, oh, cool your jets. You know, hold on a minute. Let's get you some training. I don't know if this is true or not. I did not look into this at all. Did everybody hear that? I do not know if this is true. Don't come to me with some other article. I just saw a heading. Somebody sent me this article on Facebook with a heading that said, Nancy Pelosi's church. Ask her to leave until she finds God. I don't know if that happened or not. I don't know. You all hear me? I don't know. I didn't read it. I don't even care. But the headline caught my attention because I thought, how sad. I'd love for Nancy Pelosi to come to church. Because then I'll tell her the truth. You see, the misconception is this. The misconception is that, that as, especially from the world looking in, they look at us and they think that what, that what you need to do is get your life cleaned up and then you'll be good enough to go to church. Get your life cleaned up and then you'll be good enough for God. But it goes the other way. So when God saves you, if, if you're amening that, then understand this. When God saves you, you're still pretty wretched and dirty. And if you're excited about the Lord, if you're so excited that you just whipped an apostle and put him in jail and then later that night you were so excited that you brought him home and told your whole family about Jesus, go for it. You understand what I'm doing there? You see the little story that we use there? Why, why would we quench the spirit in someone else? I'm going to give you a real life example that's happening right now in our time. I had, I had a long conversation. Several long conversations about the rapper Kanye West. It's interesting to me, all the people. You, you know what You know what? said to me? A couple things were said to me, I'm gonna give them to you. Here's the lines that have been said to me. Well, I sure hope so. Well, I, I sure hope he's saved. I'll give, you, I'll give you another one. Time will tell. Time will tell. I'll give you a third one that was said to me, even this week. You know what someone else said to me? Well, he'll be known by his fruits. Do you know what the fruits are that I see so far? Here's a guy that last May found the Lord. He went to church. He gave his heart to Christ. And he got so excited about what happened that he wanted to tell everybody. Well, he's singing that devilish rap music. He's telling people about Jesus. Then somebody tried to tell me, he's charging people to come to his church. Well, he didn't plant a church. He's been renting out venues on Sunday morning and inviting people to it in Los Angeles. He didn't claim he had a church. He's, he said he calls it his Sunday services, and he invites people to it. And you know what he's been doing? He's been preaching the gospel to people when they come to his when they come to his rap concerts. Does he still cuss? I don't know. Does he still do things wrong? Probably. He just got saved in May. Right. right so do we, for that matter. You got saved years ago, and you're still sinning. Anyways, but that's a whole different thing. Listen. Here's a guy, here's the fruit that I see, here's a guy that took his platform, took millions of dollars, made an an album called Jesus is King, and has been running around trying to tell everybody that Jesus is the Lord. You know, I can remember a time when the disciples came to Jesus and they were pretty upset about a group of people that were spreading his name. And Jesus, what did he say? He said, "If if they're not against us, they're with us. Leave them alone. Listen, I don't know anything about Kanye West. I'm not trying to stand up here and promote it. Maybe he will fall off. Maybe he'll do something tragic and everything, will, everybody will be like, oh, see, look, he really wasn't saved. Why would we wish that on somebody? Don't quench the spirit in somebody. If they're excited about the Lord, so excited that they'll stand on national television and say, I don't care about anything but saying that Jesus is the king, I want to promote that, don't you? Don't quench the Spirit in somebody else, whether they're a new believer or maybe they do something different than the way that you do it or I don't know, I got a crazy one. Maybe, maybe they got a different doctrine than you got. Maybe they read a different version of the Bible than you read. Maybe they sing different songs than you like to sing. But maybe, just maybe, we ought not quench the Spirit when someone's excited about the Lord. Paul said, don't quench the Spirit. It's your responsibility. That's your responsibility. His grace has provided His Holy Spirit. We didn't deserve that don't quench it. That's your part. Look, I made it through one line. What time is it? Goodness. Yeah, it I'm going to go, but look, look here. Do not despise prophecies. Ooh, I like this one. Don't despise prophecies. First of all, you need to understand prophecies because we get a, a mixed up view of prophecy. We talked about this two Wednesday nights ago. If you're not coming to Wednesday nights, you should. They're pretty good. Anyways, that's the plug. Uh, but, but listen, a couple Wednesday nights ago, we talked about the prophets. And what did we talk about with the prophets? Are prophets fortune tellers? No. If you were here on Wednesday night, say it louder so everybody can hear you. Are prophets fortune tellers? No. They were the mouthpiece of God. They're the thus saith the Lord. This is what God is telling you. And that's what they were doing in the Old Testament. And by the way, that's what they're doing in the New Testament. Now, why would the New Testament church need these prophets? We don't seem to see prophets like we did then. As a matter of fact, I'll be honest with you. When someone labels themselves as a prophet, I usually get a little leery. I'll go to the next verse later and talk about test all things. We'll get there in a minute. But in the New Testament, they didn't have, well, until Paul sent it to them, Thessalonica didn't have this letter. And neither did any of the other holy brethren that they were supposed to send it to and read it in front of. They were still writing that. So remember, they have the Old Testament scriptures, and they don't have a Bible like you have. They don't have all the scriptures put together in one nice little packet for you to be able to thumb through and read. And so the early church is, is, is uh, getting ready, and they're, they're, the church is growing, and they're promoting the gospel. But they need to know what the will of the Lord is, and the Lord had provided a way for that. He had sent prophets, prophets who would give the thus saith the Lord. Here's what God wants you to do. We get a clear example. If you want to know exactly what that looked like, what would a prophet do in the New Testament? Well, I'll show you. Let's look at one. Go back to the book of Acts in the 21st chapter. I'm going to have to get a drink of water. I'm sorry. Acts 21 and verse 8. And this is a story where Paul is desperate to go to Rome. Paul wants to go to Rome so bad, and yet God is sending these prophets in his way to warn him that thus saith the Lord. Look, it's Acts 21 and verse 8. Paul wants to go to Rome and look what happens in Acts 21 and 8. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now, Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And we, and we stayed many days. A certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and when he had come down to us, he took Paul's belt. Agabus took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. There's a perfect picture of exactly what a prophet would do. The prophet Agabus came to Paul, took Paul's belt off of him, bound his own self. Agabus binds himself, with Paul's belt, and then he says, here's what the Lord says, thus saith the Lord, the man who owns this belt, this is what they're going to do to you, they're going to deliver you into the hands of the Gentiles, if you go on, Paul was wanting to go to Rome, and they're warning him, if you go on to Rome, this is what's going to happen, they're going to bind you, and they're going to, the Gentiles are going to take you off, and is that not exactly what happened to Paul, do you understand the point, the, the prophets were prophesying the will of God, right, how does that apply to us, if we don't have, I'm not a prophet, I'm not. I'm a preacher. There's a difference. To some he gave preachers and teachers. To some he gave prophets. I'm, I'm not a prophet. He didn't give me that gift. But it does apply to us in this way. Don't despise the prophecies. In other words, get this. Don't despise what God is telling you his will is. Now, in our culture, we don't like that. As a matter of fact, I would say in our culture, we do despise what the Lord says. Not us, not salt and light, not the, not the individual church body. But the culture as a whole, do we not see that the culture despises what God says? As a matter of fact, what we see is that when when God has said something, when God has decreed something, what we see from the culture is the culture seems to go the opposite way. Of course, I, I think the big easy target here, here's, here's a big easy bullseye for everybody to be able to hit would be what's happening right now with homosexuality. But what's happening in the culture, listen, I, I'm never mad at the culture for being the culture. <laughs> like, they acted worldly I guess I thought better of them well, I didn't Like, that. of course they're, they're going to act sinfully they're, they're outside of, of Christ but it becomes real sad and real tragic when the church lets it come inside don't despise prophecy well wait a minute what if what if somebody's going to get mad what if somebody's going to leave don't despise prophecy If God said it, if God decreed it, then that's what we want to follow, even if it's not popular, even if nobody likes it, even if the world, what's being threatened right now, if the one guy, I can't think of what his name is, but if the one guy wants to take everybody's rifles away, if he becomes president, he's already said that he's going to tax the churches if we don't marry homosexuals. Well, start taxing us. I guess we'll pay taxes. Okay. What what do you want me to say to that? Is it unconstitutional to make us pay taxes? Arr, let's all rally up about the tax thing. I got a better one for you. Why don't we pray for all the churches that are going to fold and allow to mar- homosexuals to marry in their church because they were more scared, about, more scared about taxes than they were about their Lord's coming again. Ooh, that hurt. I know. That's right, though, because the Lord is coming again, and he's coming for his church, and his church, our responsibility, is not to despise the prophecies. Now, let's get a little harder, though, because the big bullseye, the big target is homosexuality, which I don't think you're struggling with. But you know, the same thing is true when you're angry and the Bible speaks about forgiveness. And the same is true when the Lord talks to us about how we ought to treat our brothers and our sisters in the Lord. The Bible's pretty clear about what our responsibility is and he tells, he tells us over and over again what he wants from us. And then he says, don't despise that. Forgiveness, I, what I see happening in the church over and over again is a lack of forgiveness. And I keep reminding you, and I'm going to remind you again today, you cannot forgive those who didn't hurt you. They have to hurt you first. I always love when somebody tell when I tell somebody they, they, they need to forgive, and they look at me and go, but they. I know they. That's why you have to forgive. Like If they didn't, then you don't have an opportunity to forgive. And yet we don't like that. See, sometimes we do despise the prophecies. What's my time? I don't don't want to keep everybody late. It's 54. I'm going to go one more and and then we'll cut it off. But look one more in verse 21 and 22. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. After he just told them, don't despise the prophecies, don't quench the spirit, what did he tell them? Test all things. That is not Paul's, I had somebody quote this to me one time as if like, it's okay to try everything once. That is, that is not, that is not what he meant. <laughs> he didn't mean like try anything and everything. That is, just, you don't get to twist it like that. That's not what he meant at all. What he meant was this. If, if you've got the spirit moving and you've got people prophesying, you've got the thus saith the Lord's, the will, the will of the Lord going on. You want to test all things and you want to know what part of that is, is from God, what part of that is from the Lord and what part of that is from the enemy. You understand that? See, there are going to be people that will stand up. I said earlier that there would be people that would stand up, even today, who would say they're prophets. A guy came into my store about a year ago, and he handed me a business card. And I promise you, on the business card, it says, Prophet so-and-so. <laughs> I was like, um, interesting way to promote your, <laughs> that you're a prophet. Like, <laughs> it just seemed strange to me to like put it on a card so that you could hand it to me. Immediately, the first thing that I thought to myself was, I want to, like, I want to know, are you really a prophet? You say that you're a prophet. I'm not going to sit here and call you a liar, but I am going to test all things. And so I began to ask him about his doctrine. I'm just going to tell you this. I won't tell you the whole conversation because it's too long and I'm getting it's, it's too late already. But this happened. This guy standing in my store, he tells me, he said, well, what I like to do when I see somebody in a wheelchair, I couldn't make this stuff up. He said, I like to go and yank them out of it and tell the demon to get out of them. Friends, sometimes people aren't in a wheelchair because of a demon. Like Sometimes they just can't walk. You know, you don't get to do that. I asked him, I said, how many people stood up and walked after you did that? Crickets. He didn't answer. I said, have you ever tugged somebody out of their chair and they were like laying on the floor? He wouldn't answer me. I don't know if he really did that or not. Like, Is this like in his head that he wants to do it or did he actually tug people out of their chairs? I don't know. But I can tell you this. If you can't give me the, the plain testimony that the Lord told you to tug somebody out of their chair and cast the demon at them and they stood up and walked, you better quit tugging people out of chairs. You, you understand what I'm saying there? Like, test all things. Don't, don't, listen, he says don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but then he goes on to say what? Test all things. Just because somebody says it's a prophecy, just because somebody says that it's true doesn't mean that it's true. We ought to be like the Berean church. You know where Paul went after Thessalonica? He went to Berea. And you know what happened in Berea? The Bible says, you could, you could look if you want. We're not going to turn to it, but it's Acts 17. It's, it's right after Thessalonica. It, the Bible says that the, uh, that the people of Berea were more fair-minded than those of Thessalonica, that, that as they talked, as they told the things that they told them, the church of Berea looked into the scriptures to see if they were true. And that's where you and I are. We don't have prophets in the church today, but we do have his word, Right? We do have God's Word. And so when someone is teaching us, we can check what they're saying to what God says. As a matter of fact, there's a pretty clear way to check a prophet. It's in Deuteronomy. You can, you can check a prophet real easily, see if what he says is true. That's what, that's what Deuteronomy tells us. That's what Paul meant when he said, when he said, test all things. Listen, we have a responsibility. Next week, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll dive into the Lord's grace end of this, which I think will be a wonderful part of the study. But inside of God's grace, do, do, before we close, do we all understand God's grace God's grace is His unmerited favor. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't do anything for it. You couldn't buy it. You can't buy it with your works. You can't, you can't abstain from enough sin. There's nothing that you can do that would earn God's grace. That's, that's why it's His grace. He freely gives it to us, just like I provide for my kids. God provides for you. He's offered to save you. And you all you have to do is believe in Him for your salvation. But then once he saved me, he's my father and I want to live for him. And that's my responsibility. I don't have a responsibility to earn his grace. I don't have a responsibility to earn his salvation. But if he saved me, I do have a responsibility, for lack of a better term, to do the chores that he gives me. And that's what he's saying right here. If you've got something today that you need to get right with the Lord, if you've been quenching the spirit or, or if you've been, if you've been uh, despising the prophecies, If you've been despising what the will of the Lord is, I would encourage you today to give that to him. Give that over to him. Get your life in, in right order with him. Don't quench the spirit in your life. The spirit's alive and moving. If you're not feeling the Holy Spirit, don't blame the spirit, don't blame the church. Paul laid that on you. That's your responsibility not to quench him. Let's all stand up on our feet and close in prayer.